Hello everybody, uh, we're on the road today in Washington DC in Georgetown actually at the beautiful offices of Liberties Quarterly and we are with the managing editor of this excellent publication, Celeste Marcus. Uh, Celeste has what I found to be a, a very moving, troubling, intense piece in the latest issue of uh, Liberties. Uh, uh, an essay about her own experience after rape, a guide for the tormented. Celeste, I'm not sure it would be appropriate for me to congratulate you on this piece, but it certainly was very intense. Did you have any qualms about publishing it? It's enormously personal. Qualms? No, actually, um... It was a very it was a very different writing experience for me this this essay versus any of the other ones I've ever written um, and the the part of the process that surprised me the most was how easy it was for me to do it I didn't I didn't need to force any of it it just kind of flowed out of me I, I was not expecting it to do that I mean I'd, I had decided. I write in the essay a little bit about why I decided to write it. Um, I was raped two and a half years ago. I definitely didn't... I didn't set out to write about that. What happened was I fell into a very close friendship with a, a woman who had also been raped. And we, we became friends in a very strange way. Um, we connected online. I've never met her in person. And I, I, the, the occasion for our first meeting um, was the, happened like right after she was, or a few months after she was raped. And immediately that was, that was the subject of our relationship immediately was just talking about her experience and I was on the phone with her for the first time in the end of August, I think. And I could just hear in her voice, I could hear the misery that I remembered from when I was as close to my rape as she was to hers. And I knew what she was going through. I knew, I knew where she was and I knew what was coming and I wanted to just help her through it. I, I remember being in that position myself and wishing very much that I could read something that would help me. And there is a lot of writing about rape, but um, not the kind of writing that I was looking for, not the kind of writing that I needed. Uh, and I set out when writing this essay to write the thing that I wish that I had had. Um, so no, I, I definitely didn't have any qualms about it. I felt. I felt like I had to do it. Yeah. The essay is called After Rape, A Guide for the Tormented. Uh, the word torment, of course, uh, is central in that. Uh, perhaps you might describe that torment. So, I remembered it for myself, certainly. I mean, there are gradations and there are different stages and it comes in different shades um, and different weights you know I'm experiencing a version of it now two and a half years later um, but 
it is different kinds of torment, and most of it is happening inside your own head. And there are things, there are there are occasions outside of you that make it worse sometimes, but a lot of it is stuff that you're just dealing with on your own. Um, and there were different... So I, I started talking to this woman, I call her Eve in the essay, I started talking to her fairly regularly. I think we basically would talk on the phone once every two weeks, something like that. We still do. Um, and she would say different things and I would think I need to respond to that in a way that she can hear it that'll help her think through it and then I, I wish that I could just like write it down for her so that she could read it whenever she needs to so for example she would say things like I feel crazy I feel insane um, that what if this wasn't so bad what if it what if it didn't what if my response to it is disproportionate? And what if, what if I should just move on and not feel this way? Which of course, I mean, these are questions that I'd ask myself. Why is this a thing that blew our lives up? Why, how can it be that something that doesn't have any kind of lasting physical damage can incapacitate us so disproportionately or so it seems sometimes it feels like it's a very strange thing to have this incident happen to you and you know for in our cases it didn't last that long and I would think about this all the time right after it happened to me it was like there was this space of some amount of time and then it was over and time went on but my life didn't how can it be that something that just transpired in some number of minutes blew the next years off course? And it feels like that shouldn't be possible. It feels like something that small shouldn't be able to have this enormous effect. I mean, in the essay, I, I say that rape is like exploding ammunition. It's like it penetrates you in a particular place in the body and then it just it just hits you everywhere, places that you wouldn't expect it to. There's just shards in the rest of you. And you have to spend all this time pulling out the pieces because the damage is done, but more damage will be done if you don't think about it all the time and trace every, every piece of the bullet and get it out of you. It'll just keep sinking deeper. Um, and so there's just all of this work that has to be done. Being raped is such hard work. Uh, if, if you respond to it the way that we did and the way that so many people do. I do know people who were raped who um, it didn't do this to them and I don't, I don't know why I'm not like that and she wasn't, but I know people for whom being raped was not the worst thing that ever happened. Um, maybe it's because other terrible things happened to them, but there, there were these times when I would just think on the phone with Eve, I would think, this is so much work. There's so much work that has to be done. So much emotional, intellectual labor has to go into pulling yourself out of the hell that is the afterlife of rape. Um, and there, there are so many different kinds of torment. And one of the kinds of torment is how many kinds of torment there are because of how much work it is. One of the things that struck me about the piece was, on the one hand, of course, rape is done to you and the, the torment is a personal one. On the other hand, it's a social, or perhaps more appropriately, an antisocial act. 
And the narrative in your essay really focuses on the social or the anti-social dimensions of what you experience. So perhaps you might um, develop that a, a little bit in the sense of, on the one hand, you're the victim, it's you, it's Celeste, cut off from the world. On the other hand, it's, it's the action of someone else. And it plays out, or it seemed to, the, the torment, at least in your essay, seemed to play out in the turbulence it did, not only to yourself, but to your relationships, friends. It's a very strange thing, having something that personal suddenly be, it's like, it's like a monster on your back wherever you go. And it's very strange, because this thing that happened, it's unspeakable, right? It's so, I don't even want to say personal because I don't want to grant him that kind of access to me. Um, but it's incredibly private um, and it, it disturbs you and disfigures you in, in the places in yourself that were already hard to look at. I mean, who wants to um, have to look like it feels like it feels like some, like a hand is taking your face and pushing it to a mirror and just forcing you to look at yourself all the time because you have to look at your weaknesses and figure out what it is that's making them why are you aching this way why is why is this thing that was done to you hitting you exactly in these spots and you have to understand them because if you don't uh, you won't be able to get out of bed in the morning so you have to you have to try and doing that when you're with your friends um, or when you're talking to your parents or your boss and you, you have this thing on your back, it's very disconcerting because when you're supposed to be you know, interacting with other human beings, other people who are not supposed to have access to that part of you, um, that's where your brain is. And that was very disorienting. Um, it's not anymore for me. But, you know, if the thing you're crying about or the thing you're holding back tears about is rape, you know, it's always difficult to tell people why you're having a bad day. But when, it's that, when that's the answer, it's like you just feel like there's this wall between you and every person you're talking to. Um, and then there was the other part of it, which was that when you did tell people, people respond in the weirdest ways. It makes people very uncomfortable. And you, it's sort of, it's like a litmus test for how much, how good or bad a person is. And you find out things you don't want to know about all kinds of people that you trusted before. You know, you can draw a line in your life down with the people who stood by you and understood how to respond and the people who didn't. Um, and you'd be surprised who responds well and who doesn't. And it's a kind of thing you can't unknow. <laughs> Celeste, you, you, you talked about it as a, an intimate act, and there's a, a, deep, a deep intimacy about the piece. It's a hard, it certainly was for me, and I think for many others, a hard piece to read because you're letting your reader somewhere that probably in many ways you don't really want them to go, but it's just the nature of things. Hmm. As you say, this intimate act or this intimate crime enabled new kinds of intimacies and the loss of 
old intimacy. So on the one hand, you have this new intimacy with a woman who experienced the same thing, and on the other hand, it's an essay about the end of certain kinds of friendships, or maybe they weren't really friendships. What does it tell us about this, I keep on mentioning intimacy, what does it tell us about intimacy? This Is this, this the great crime against intimacy? And of course, mm -hmm. the double jeopardy here is it not only was an intimate act or an intimate crime, but it was a consequence of some degree of intimacy. It's, uh, it's, it's so difficult to analyze a rapist. What does it mean to feel entitled to the inside of another person when they told you that it's not yours to have? And that's the black box um, for all of us, for all, all the victims is what was he thinking? Why did he do it? And, and what, what about a person can make them feel they have that right? In my case, um, and I do write about this in the essay, um, the man who raped me said that he did it because he was in love with me. Um, and what does it mean? I believe that. A lot of my friends and people who care about me said, well, he, that, that's, he's just saying that to prettify what he did, or it's an, it's an alibi or an excuse. I don't think it's an excuse. Um, I think he believed it, and I think that that love is evil. And I think it's sad to be the kind of person whose love is expressed through evil and wickedness. Um, I don't think it excuses it. I think that people do all kinds of terrible things in the name of love, and I think I think it's true. Um, I think love can be very selfish. I think you can. I think that there are kinds of loves that only are expressed in in cruelty. Um, so I didn't. I believe that. I believe that that's why he did it. I believe that, and it doesn't make it better for me. It doesn't. It doesn't in any way exonerate him. Uh, in some ways, I think it's worse. I mean. I found it uniquely horrifying because what he said to me was I he I the next day um, he kept calling and texting me and because he, he knew that he'd done something wrong he wouldn't I don't think he would call it rape and I told him to stop and he said I love you and I always will. And it felt like a death sentence to me because love is binding. And to be the object of somebody else's love, somebody that harmed you so much, feels like you'll never be safe. Love is like an addiction or an obsession. I mean, it just felt to me like I would never be safe. Um, and that was an education in a certain kind of intimacy. It was a, a way of learning about the dangers of being loved. People want to be loved. People want to feel desired. And I learned 
and I don't know if I'll ever unlearn it, um, that this can be one of the effects of being loved. So I don't think that, I, I think that this was about intimacy. Um, it was about closeness and, you know, there, there, there's this fallacy that this, it's the same thing to talk about a healthy love and a legitimate love or a real love. I don't believe that. I think that there are real loves that are not healthy. People will say, well, they don't really love you. If they loved you, they wouldn't do that. And it's like, no, they're doing that because they love you. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a theme that I spent a lot of time thinking about. One point in the essay, you, you, you refer to a, a friend, please correct me if I'm wrong, who had been raped three times, and you, you note that in your mind that was like saying that you've been married three times. Obviously, they're not equivalent, but you, you compare them ironically, perhaps. They're both, as you suggest, uh, they're, they're both Permanent. events or associated with, with love. How does this connect with marriage? Were you using that comparison metaphorically, ironically, polemically? I write in the piece that um, I had the thought reflexively, I, like I couldn't stop myself from thinking it. And it certainly wasn't ironic, it definitely felt out of my control. And it's a terrible thought. Um, I think the reason that I had that thought at that point is because I had just been told that somebody I knew had been raped by their husband. But I think that being married and then divorced, especially if it's a bad marriage and then a divorce, it's analogous in the sense that a person you don't want to feel close to anymore knows things about you that they can never unknow. And you can never make them unknow. Um, and so it is like marriage. I mean, being married to somebody and then being divorced, it's a permanent condition. Um, I think that in the mid-20th century, like after divorce was possible in the United States, but before it was normalized, um, if you got divorced but you hadn't gotten married yet, that the man was still called your husband because in some ways it's like it's like if a woman had a husband even if she's not his wife anymore if she doesn't have another husband then she's still in some way bound to him and i think that this is if this is um i think this is just a useful thing for people to understand uh who have never had occasion to think about it one of the torments of being raped is that you feel bound to this person and it's mm, yeah. So it's a sort of it's it's the anti-marriage, but it has the same. It's yeah. It's, same. It's like this. It's a very deep bond. Bond or yeah. It's like being bound to somebody. But it's chained to someone. It's like a chain. Yeah. It's like being chained to someone. And I I think that having been in an abusive marriage is must be like that in some ways. Like there's this whole part of your life that somebody else took from you or that whatever it is like this this black period that you maybe you both took from each other but you know there's this part of you that one of the thing one of the conversations that was really important to me right after it happened to me 
I was on the phone with a really very close friend of mine. And, you know, there are different different parts of the puzzle. There are different, like, burning things that you pick up and turn around and then have to put down again. One of the things that I was fixating on at that time when I was on the phone with her was that it was it was incredibly painful for me that he knew me so well. He was a very close friend and it disgusted me that he knew me. Mm. Um, and I was saying that to her, I was saying, he knows me so well, He, I can't, even if I don't talk to him now, he knows me, he knows things about me. I've told him things about my family that I can't, like he knows things about my parents that I don't want him to know. And he's just walking around like with all of that information in his brain. And it was disgusting to me and infuriating. And it felt, it felt like such a deep violation that this person knew things about people I cared about because I told him. And she said, he knows you yesterday, but he doesn't know you today. And every day you become, you move farther away from the version of yourself that he knows. And that was a huge relief to me. Um, that felt, there were different things that people I love said to me that felt like lifeboats, and that was one of them. So in a sense, and you talk about this in the essay, you had all sorts of fantasies of revenge, but the ultimate revenge is making sure that he can, that you can unknow him or he can unknow you turning him into a, a stranger, a foreigner. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was, that doesn't feel like revenge, that felt like um, recovery was moving away from him. And yeah, I, I think that that was recovery, was definitely, because when I felt, when I felt close to him, that was unbearable for me. I, I, I hate that feeling, feeling like we're both human beings on the same planet is deeply uncomfortable to me. I hate knowing that he's around, um, like breathing and doing things that human beings do. It's, it, it just is deeply dis disconcerting. It makes me scared. Um, and moving away and becoming a person that he doesn't have access to, that never trusted him, that never felt duped by him, which is how I felt. Um, that was just getting to baseline. I say in the essay that revenge would be if he looked in the mirror and saw a rapist. And I'm not going to have that because bad people don't look in the mirror and see bad people. If they did, they'd be good people. Um, but you, you, you touch on the idea of justice. You could have, in a sense, or certainly made sure that when other people looked at him, they see a rapist. But you chose in the essay, and correct me if I'm wrong, not to turn this into a public investigation because you were concerned about ruining his life. What did this whole experience teach you? Maybe I'm, I'm wrong. I was certainly not concerned about ruining his life. Well, certainly some conversations you had with, with people, they were worried about ruining the lives. Not him. Uh, there was one, a friend of mine, I certainly am not worried about ruining his life. I mean, he's a rapist. He should, <laughs> he should have some part of his life ruined. Um, I mean, I don't think he should be dead, but he should be punished. He committed a crime. Um, no, uh, Eve, 
No, a different a different friend. Yeah, I think it was somebody else. A different friend um, had been about to report her rapist to the police, and a friend of hers said to her, you shouldn't do it because you'll ruin his life and he doesn't deserve that. I don't agree with that. Um, I think there are all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't report your rapist if you don't want to, if you think that you can't handle what will definitely be an extremely unpleasant experience for you. Um, but rapists are criminals. They should be punished. And my girlfriend is a public defender. Um, she is dealing with people all day long who did a lot less than rape anybody. And they go to jail. I mean, she's got clients who... All they did was do drugs themselves. They didn't hurt anybody else. And they'll be locked in jail for a long time. So, I don't know what justice is, but that's not it. What did this process, the experience, teach you or convince you about crime and punishment that you hadn't thought about before? How were you surprised, in a sense, with your response? I think that the process of writing the essay or the process of having been raped? The, the experience, the, the, the process rape. of being raped. I think I learned a lot of things about what it does to a person to punish or not punish a person who has wronged them. At least, right, there, there, are all, there are all kinds of reasons why we punish. The state punishes not because it's interested in exacting repentance, but because it needs to um, contain a certain level of criminality in order to function properly. The society has to put certain people in jail for certain crimes um, in order to function. That's why certain people get punished for one crime that other people would never get punished for. And that's not the reason why people punish one another. And I learned about myself, um, and I've seen this, I've now talked to a lot of women who have been raped, um, and, and some men who have been abused. And what I've learned is that you may want to not punish someone, you may want to be capable of grace, um, and if you can do that without harming yourself, I think that's rare. Uh, and you have to be careful about that because sometimes if you don't punish a person who has desecrated you, um, the thing that you internalize from that is that you are not worthy of revenge. And that can be very dangerous for you. So. If you tell yourself that a person who has violated you in some fundamental, primal way doesn't need to be punished, you may find functioning very difficult. I mean, it might, it might incur a certain, um, a certain price that you're not expecting. And I learned that. Celeste, we live in what many people think of as a, a therapeutic culture, certainly a culture in which the idea of therapy or the ideal of therapy is increasingly mainstream. Did this experience both in the actual rape, but particularly in the, the torment afterwards and the act of 
writing about it pub so publicly. Did it teach you something about the limits of therapy? Or is it a form of therapy itself? It didn't feel therapeutic to me. I did seek therapy. I mean, a friend of mine demanded that I go get a therapist, which was necessary for me at a certain point. And um, much to the credit of Bill and Leon, who were incredible throughout this entire process, I'm very, 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 very 5,000 times over lucky to have a supportive work environment. And, and we should just be clear, that's Bill, right, Groom, and, and, and Leon Weasel to the your, your co-conspiracies of liberties. Yeah, and you know, it's three people in an office, and I'm incredibly lucky that I work with two men who were very supportive. I know women who don't have that, and I was very lucky. Um, but I had friends, and they, they, Liberty's paid for my therapy because I, a friend of mine finally convinced me to go to a therapist, and she, she told me to go to her therapist who was, um, outside of my network, and she was expensive, um, and I needed it. I really needed it, and so I'm, I'm gonna say, like, if you need help, um, you should get help. Um, writing the essay was not therapeutic for me. I hope that it will help other people, and I people have written to me since I wrote it and since it's been published and told me that it helped them, which is why I did it, and it means so much to me that these those notes mean everything to me. Um, so... I guess I would say that it taught me about the importance of solidarity and trust. Who did you write it for? Eve. The woman in the essay. And what was her response? She, she said thank you. That it helped. And what about, you know, as a typical male, I guess, of us, that, you know, I read it and thought, I mean, obviously everyone's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a must read, but. I don't even know if that's the best way of describing it. It's an essential read. Um, and I, I'm guessing the typical male response would be, or at least one of the typical male responses, mine was, well, I'm not capable of doing this. Um, I hope so. Is that, um, is that typical? And do you think it's in some ways wrong that all men and perhaps even some women are capable of writing? Oh, God. No, I don't think that. Um... And I, I have a section in the essay that's about that especially. I don't think that. I mean, sure, are there days when I'm really distrusting of men? And do I think in some fundamental way I don't trust men now? Yeah, I do. Um, but I'm in a relationship with a woman, so I don't need to worry about that. Uh, it is very useful for me to remind myself that this was a unique evil, that it is evil and most people are not capable of evil and extrapolating from this horrific thing that was done to me that all men could have done it belittles it um and that was that was an important thing for me to remind myself of that this did not in any way implicate all men and yet you note also in the piece that rape is underreported it's hard to get exact numbers but it's it's not an unusual occurrence. Yeah. I mean, what, what kind of, I mean, perhaps you might get into that a little bit and 
terms, I mean, not necessarily numbers, but... One in four is, I think, I mean, there are lots of statistics, but one in four is the, it's the one I I use in the essay, it's the one the writers I respect have been using. So in other words, one in four women went through what you went through. Yeah. Which is a lot of women. Yeah. And is there anything, I mean, in a way, I guess the essay is, I wouldn't say cathartic, but you do write about the arc of less torment. The book is, the essay is called A Guide for the Tormented. You're certainly less tormented than you were, you note in the essay, although you haven't lost that torment. But it, is there anything, I'd say positive but, uh, or optimistic, but is, is there anything that we should look at in the piece which might encourage us in some way, given what you went through? I think that the fact that I was able to write it means that it gets better, that it didn't thwart me. And I think that's positive. I believe that the women I know who... Look, here's what I think. I think that a lot of women make the mistake of swallowing those horrors and suppressing them and not thinking about them and not telling anyone about them because they're ashamed of them, blaming themselves for what happened to them for decades. Um, and you don't have to do that. I don't know if that's a positive thing to take away from this, but I want to say that to anybody listening. It is so common for women to find ways to blame themselves for the horrible things that men do to them. And if you can get yourself to a place where you don't believe that, where you realize it's not true, things will get easier for you. Um, and. I want that to be the thing that the people who read the essay remember. I want that to be the thing that men who have women in their lives whom they respect and admire and want to protect, want that to be the thing that they tell them. Um, that's, a, that's a good that you can do, is just say, you should not be ashamed of this and it was not your fault. And it'll be important to do that because there will be people who don't say that and you have to counteract that. Finally, Celeste, you say that rape, I'm quoting the piece, rape is like explosive ammunition. The bullet fragments beneath the skin, wounding all parts of the body. Um, what have you learned after the piece came out? I mean, a lot of, it's, it's, as you say, rope is an explosive thing, but it, the piece is explosive. It's a double explosion. What's been the response? All I care about in terms of response are the women who have written to me to say thank you and to tell me their stories. Um, that is a kind of, it's a painful thing, but I've always felt like there was something lacking in 
the kind of female solidarity that I could be a part of because I knew how common this kind of brutality was. And what I wanted was to be able to be a source of strength and support for women who I knew had gone through things like this. Just statistically, it seemed likely that they needed the help that I hoped I could give. And it helps me to help, to be able to be in a community of women who need each other. Um, and I've been able to do that now, to be able to give support to women, to tell them the things that I know they need to hear. I mean, if Eve was saying those things to me on the phone, I know that there are other people who need to hear them. And I was able to put it in writing and give it to them, some number. Um, 